Welcome to our Soul Food Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Father, we just lift you up as we uh, delve into your word this morning. We pray that uh, that we would have clarity, we'd have understanding, and that you would speak to each of us uh, unique to our needs. Uh, we just lift you up as we get started. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Titus chapter 1 says, Paul, a bondservant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. What's the book for? It's for your faith. That's the basis of this whole book, to build up your faith. I know a lot of people look at Timothy and Titus, and they're like, these are pastoral epistles, and they're for pastors. <laughs> That's not true. That's a, a mis conception. They are written to pastors, but they are for all of us. They are written for those chosen. If you're chosen, if you're a child of God, this is written to you. Imagine it as a letter directly to you for your knowledge, for your edification. This is the requirement God wants for you to be the leader in your family, in your church, in your community, okay? So be careful that when you look at the pastoral epistles that you don't count yourself unworthy because that's what God's calling us all to be, is leaders, okay? So having that in mind, let's back up. Paul is a bondservant of God. What's a bondservant? It's somebody who was a servant at one point. He was submitted in servanthood. And he said, I recognize that the owner of me at this time, I, I'm about to be released, but the owner can take better care of me than I can take care of myself. So I want to live the rest of my life in submission to this, this owner. So they would take him out and... He'd, he'd make that profession, I'm staying here, I don't want to be out on my own, because, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty well under your care. And so they would take him to uh, the, uh, the shed and, and take an awl and pierce his ear. And so part of the idea of ear, ear piercing applies to servanthood 
weird when you think about how many women pierce ears. It applies. There's a reason behind it. It's about saying, I'm in submission. I know you guys don't want to pierce your ears anymore. <laughs> but that's where that's some of where it came from. And then it's from glorification of themselves, too. But uh, Anyway, Paul, his decision was to be taken care of by God and to serve God exclusively. And so he says, I am first and foremost a voluntary servant of God. And that's a great place to start. He says, I'm also a, an apostle of Jesus. This is one who is sent or a messenger of Jesus. He, his apostleship is literally Jesus is sending him for a purpose. Now he's going to tell you what the purpose is. For the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. So first we have faith. And then we have knowledge. Um, you know, we have all kinds of different kinds of knowledge. He says, this is the knowledge of truth. You know, there's a lot of lies out there, and there's a lot of deceivers. We need to be very careful that the knowledge that we take in is true knowledge and has eternal value. Okay? So he says, I'm here to impart knowledge to you according to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, pr promised long ago, but at the proper time manifest even his word, that is Jesus, in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God, our Savior. Okay? So, Paul's mission is to proclaim these things. And he says in verse 4, to Titus, my true child, and in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Okay, so who is it written to? Titus. We don't know much about Titus. We know he was at Corinth. We went through Corinthians with uh, Bill not too long ago. He was uh, he's seen in Corinth for a time. He's in Crete which we'll find out is not the most respected place uh, later in the chapter. <laughs> Cretans uh, are, are known for their untruth, and so he's making a point of establishing, I'm trying to give you truth. In the midst of all the lies around you, here's some truth. Okay, so to Timothy, and he says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you might set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Okay, so here is the overview of the whole book. Setting in order what the church is supposed to look like and the establishment of what it means to be elderly or mature. Okay, now it's interesting that that's pretty much all it means. I want you to establish people with maturity in the church. Okay? Spiritual maturity, as well as uh, there's, in the next chapter, we're going to talk about people just being elderly, supposedly. 
I think they kind of tie together, but we'll see that as we get there. So, namely, this is the directive for um, an overview for what a elder is supposed to look like. If any man be above reproach, the husband of one wife, that is, he's monogamous, not with like 40 wives and, you know, taking care of one woman, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. Okay? It's real simple qualifications to be an elder. Now, I know a lot of you should probably qualify for those things. I hope most of you are monogamous. <laughs> I hope all of you are monogamous. Um, <laughs> we'll go there. <laughs> um, <laughs> I hope you're striving to be above reproach. You know, people don't look down on you for the way you behave. Um, you want your children to be saved. If you are a Christian, you don't want your children not to be Christians, right? That, that would be kind of an oxymoron there. Um, and not accused of rebellion. We're not rebellious. Now, there are two ideas. One is that your children are not accused of rebellion. The other idea is that you're not accused of rebellion. <laughs> and that would, if it applies that way, it would apply to your citizenship, that you are not a rebel in the government's standards, that the way that you behave as a person is upstanding in the community, okay? And not dissipation, which is also defined later as drunkenness. So pretty simple qualifications. So these are very attainable things for everybody in the church. And so we should all strive to be mature Christians, okay? For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. What's the job of an elder? He's supposed to be a steward. Okay, He's supposed to be taking care of the people in the church and taking care of the work of God. Okay, Steward, not self-willed. It's not about himself. Not quick-tempered or easily angered. Not addicted to wine not uh, pugnacious and not fond of sordid gain. Pugnacious is literally just trying to start fights. Not somebody that just wants to fight all the time, right? There's lots of people like that, right? <laughs> and unfortunately, this next set, you know, this set, you'll see people like that in the church. There are lots of people that are all about themselves in churches. There are lots of people who are quick-tempered in the church and haven't learned to relax <laughs> and be patient with one another that haven't learned to control the way that they have alcohol <laughs> you know not addicted to much wine that doesn't mean that they don't necessarily have wine later uh, earlier in Timothy it says hey have a drink for your stomach it's good to help calm your stomach because Timothy had stopped drinking altogether um, and for some people, you need to stop drinking. No doubt. If you have a problem with alcoholism or any type of addiction, you should not be involved in that. Let it go and let God release you from those things. For other people, 
it may not be a problem, but you also need to be controlled in what you do. Be mature in your behavior. Okay? Not fond of sordid gain. Moving on. But instead of those things, we're going to be honorable in our behavior. Loving what's good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled. Right? We've got to be controlled in what we do. Holding fast to the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching that he may be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. There are two jobs that we, are need, we need to do in the way that we communicate the gospel. One is we need to be able to teach what truth is. Okay? As mature believers, we all need to know how to read the word and discern it with spiritual eyes and, and know what it says and not just pick and choose this verse and say, oh, it says this and I'm going to create this doctrine out of this, this one word. That's dangerous. And it happens. So we need to, when it happens, be able to refute that and say, that's wrong. That's not scriptural. Okay? So, both to teach and to exhort or refute those who contradict. Okay? Now, he's going to get a little aside here in verse 10. For there are many rebellious men. Right? Lots of people are messed up in their thinking. And they are rebelling not only against the church, but against God himself. Now, we need to understand that what he's talking about here is not just rebellious in, in character, but really rebelling against God. That's what it means to be sinful. We've rebelled against God. There are many who are in that state, okay? Many rebellious men, empty talkers, they just say whatever they feel like and are useless, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, which are the Jewish believers who were pushing the law. He says, especially these guys, they're in rebellion against God because they didn't re accept Jesus, right? So if they're in rebellion, what do we do? We must be, uh, who must be silenced because they're upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. That's the next goal. A mature believer is to be one who is ready to stand up for the gospel, and when they hear something wrong, they correct it. They say, no, that's not right. Shut up. Let me just shut you up because you're speaking something untrue. And we need to be willing to do that, willing to stand up when there's lies going out. Tell people, no, that's not true. That's not in the word of God. Now, you have to remember the culture that Titus is in. He says, one of, one of themselves, a prophet of their own, that is, of this culture that you're in, says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true for uh, this cause. Because they're like this, reprove them severely. 
that they may be sound in faith. Who are we reproving severely? Is it the people with the wrong doctrine or is it the elders? When they have the wrong doctrine, I think it's both. <laughs> I think sometimes you choose one or the other, but it's real simple. If somebody is teaching something wrong, you correct it. I don't care if they are an elder or not. If I am teaching something wrong, I want you to straighten me up <laughs> because sometimes I'm wrong and I'm human. I do teach wrong things. I'm an, an idiot. <laughs> so <laughs> please correct me if I say something wrong and correct me with the word. Okay? And I need to be corrected if I need correction. I want you to do that, and I want you to do that. for. That should be true of any pastor, any elder, anybody in leadership. If they are teaching wrong doctrine, they need to be corrected. Okay? Moving on. Now, not, so, they need to be corrected. Um, that they may be sound in faith. So the whole purpose of correcting people is to bring them back to the faith. Not paying attention to Jewish myths or, or commandments of men who turn away from the truth to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their conscience are defiled. That's really disturbing. Everything is messed up. In when you're messed up, it all is messed up. When you have pure eyes, you can look at things with hope, with excitement. This could change. And so it, we can look at it from a pure heart. They profess to know God, but their deed, by their deeds, they deny him. Being detestable, disobedient, worthless uh, for any good deed. Our actions are important. What we do are important. What we say is important. We need to be careful that what we're, t what we're saying, what we're living out is not detestable. There is a standard that we need to uphold and we need to live by the standard that God's called us to. And that's what he's going to go into in the next chapter. But, as for you, this is back to Timothy, who's doing what? He is bringing order to the church, and he's establishing elders. As for you, speak things which are fitting for sound doctrine. You need to know the word to do that, right? So he says, only speak what the word says, in essence. Okay, older men, we're going back to elders, and we're going to distinguish between male elders and female elders interesting here. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in their faith, in love, and in perseverance. Older women. Now, some people have taken this and said the first chapter is about eldership in the church, and the second chapter is about just overview of being mature. I want you guys to read it decipher for yourself on that decision. 
but older women are clearly, the word is the same in chapter 1 as it is in chapter 2, elder, okay? You can read into that however you choose. I'm challenging you women, if you are mature, likewise is what it says. Older women, in the same way as older men, you are to be reverent in your behavior, not maliciously gossiping. How many stories have you heard of women being gossips? Unfortunately, that's a very common thing. We are called to step out of that role as mature believers, okay? Not maliciously gossips, not enslaved to much wine. What, were, what was the first qualification? Same thing, not addicted to much wine, not enslaved to much wine. Same qualifications as the elder. Interesting. Teaching what's good. What? Here it says women are to be teaching. How many churches you hear that one in? Right? That they may encourage the younger women. Who are they teaching in this context? They're teaching other women. He says, if you are a mature woman, you need to be teaching the younger women. That is your role, to train up other women to love their husbands. You know, it's not an easy thing to love your husband. I know it's not easy for Sarah to love me. <laughs> and if any of you guys are honest... It's not always easy for your wives to love you. Sometimes the younger women need to be encouraged. <laughs> I know he's an idiot, but <laughs> love him anyway. <laughs> okay? Teach the younger women to love their husbands. To love their children. You know, I remember when we first got married and Sarah said, you know, I don't know about this motherhood thing. I, I, it's not natural for me. And I thought, yeah, that's probably true for a lot of women. It seems natural. It's supposed to be natural, right? Not all women naturally are just nurturers. They need to be taught that. They need to be taught how to love their kids. And they, they learn that through example. Teach them to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, not other men, your own husband. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, some women have got this idea that they need to be subject to every man. That's not true. That is not biblical. You are to be subject to your own husband, not everybody else. Okay, that the word of God may not be dishonored. What's the promise here? If you do these things, it honors God and it honors the word. It makes you an example to everybody around you that you are honoring God. And that's exciting and that's our heart. That should be your heart. If you really love God, you want to honor God. And so here's some basic things on the way that we honor God as women and as older men. Now, likewise, 
Verse 6, likewise urge the young men to be sensible. <laughs> There's lots of men that, that uh, are lots of young men that can be really uh, unsensible in their behavior. <laughs> urge them to think about what they do before that. That was, I heard when I grew up, uh, one of my dad's favorite statements was think before you talk <laughs> think before you act I heard that a lot and I guess I didn't do it very often <laughs> but <laughs> I thought I did yeah we need to urge our younger men to think before you speak and think before you act and in all things show yourself to be an example an example, not just in word, but in deeds. An example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, in order that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say. What's the point? They're in a culture, and we are today where the church is put down. There's always something bad to say about some church or somebody that claims to be a Christian because they're not acting dignified. They are not an example of good deeds. They are not above reproach. And that's what we're called to be. Above any accusation. In the same way, verse 9, urge bond slaves, people who've committed to work for someone. I would dare say, if you have a job, you have willingly committed to work for someone. So it's very similar to bond slavery in our culture. Be subject to your masters, your bosses in everything. When you have a job, you need to be subject to do the job you're, you're paid to do. To be well-pleasing. Not argumentative. How many times do you get in a job and you just want to argue with somebody? That's not what the Bible tells you to do. Not argumentative. I know Junior's seen a few argumentative people in his days. <laughs> Just a couple, you know? That's not what Christians are to be as good stewards of the gospel. Not pilfering. What's that mean? It means you're not stealing. You're not just taking whatever. Oh, it's, you know, it's okay. I work here. <laughs> John struggled with that with some of his employees over the years. <laughs> Not pilfering, but showing all good faith that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. These are slave owners who were not Christians. And unfortunately, we don't always work for Christians. 
we are to be the example of what it means to be a Christian worker. And really, you know, when slavery was still going on, even in this country, it was a respectable thing to have a Christian slave because you knew that they would do what you told them to do. They were worth more. And that's what he's calling them to. Be valuable. For the grace of God has appeared being bringing salvation to all men, both slave and free. That's for everybody. Both worker and boss. That's for everybody. And we are to be an example to both sides, whichever side you're on. If you are a boss, you need to be an example of godly leadership. If you are a worker, you need to be an example of godly submission, whichever side you're on. Instructing us, this is what the grace of God does. It instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, godly in this present age. Now, how do we do that? How do we live righteously? How do we live godly? How do we get, deny ungodliness and worldly desires? The next verse says, by looking for the blessed hope. When our eyes are on the return of Christ, it changes your perspective. It changes the way you behave because you're anxiously awaiting the return. And if you're not doing that, you become stagnant in your behavior, in your attitude, in your responsibilities. There's a reason he didn't tell us when he was coming. He said, there's some signs, but I'm not, you know, I'm not going to tell you the day or the hour because I want you to be ready now. And I have some work that you need to be doing now for the community that you're in now. We are to be looking for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He already gave us an example. Verse 14, he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Do you feel zealous for good deeds today? Because that's what God wants for you. He wants a people who have a zeal to do what's right. An excitement, a drive to do good deeds. That's what he's called you to. That's what we need to be. These things speak, exhort, and reprove with all authority and let no one disregard you. That's some real simple stuff, right? Real simple teaching that we all need to learn and we all need to apply to our own life. So often, as I said before, people avoid this book because eh, it doesn't apply to me. It does. It's very clear once you read the word. 
there are lots of parts of your Bible that you think, hey, it doesn't apply to me. But if you'll read it, you'll find there's going to be a lot that's going to apply to you if you apply it. If you just read it and think, eh, that's for somebody else, then it won't apply to you. Chapter 3. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good deed. What rulers and authorities do you think he's talking about? Government. He's talking about the government. Be good citizens. That is the Christian responsibility. Be subject to the government. I know sometimes we avoid that discussion, but that's very clearly in the Bible. Our responsibility is to submit to government. And when we do that, we're also ready to do good, not evil. When the government is bad, we submit to the point that we are able to morally. When it teaches immorality, we have to rebel because God calls us to a higher standard. Otherwise, if we don't like it, we still submit to it. Now, granted, we have a great government that we can change in this country for the moment, and we need to be active to do something about the laws that are questionable, the laws that are not moral. And that's our responsibility, to be active participants. Because our government says we are ruled by the people. You are your government, right? Who are we subject to? Each other. Let's think about that for a while. <laughs> We're called to malign no one. To be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. How many of you were contentious against the last president? Who maligned the last president? That's not biblical. We are called to pray for our leadership, whether they're right or not. Why? Because we are to consider everyone. They're humans. And God wants to save everyone. There are some people in power today that are unfortunately involved in evil. And our heart needs to break for them. And we need to be praying for them that God would change their hearts. Not necessarily that they'd be judged, but that they'd be transformed into the image of Christ. That's really the heart of the church. To call people to repentance. And that should be our heart for our government, to call it to repentance and transformation. Why? Verse 3, we also were foolish ourselves. Disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts, pleasures, spending our life on malice, envy, hatred, hating one another. 
But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. What should our prayer be for our leadership? That the kindness of God appeared on them, that they could be saved from their evil around them. That should be our heart for everybody around us. The appearance of God, the realization of who Jesus really is. That's what he's calling us to. He saved us, not on the basis of what we did, not on our deeds, which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. By the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. We didn't do it ourselves. We're changed by the Spirit. And we need that Spirit to change the people around us. We need, what did, what did Jesus say? The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest send out workers. So that there's a greater harvest. What is the work? To go out and communicate the basic truth of the gospel. We're all to be workers. And ultimately, the work becomes God's work. He's going to do the final work. So we have to be faithful to speak the truth in love. Being justified his grace, by his grace, we might be made heirs according to to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God may be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for you. Not just for the church, for men, for everybody. Just behaving respectably is profitable for everybody whether you're saved or not. Shun foolish controversies, genealogy, strifes, disputes about law. They're unprofitable. They're worthless. And reject fictitious men after the first or second coming. It doesn't say just reject them. Give them a warning. You know, sometimes we look at people like, oh, yeah. And we forget we have to warn them first. <laughs> You're being two-faced. <laughs> You're not telling the truth. Our, our gospel is about grace, right? So we have to be cautious in the way we reject people. Now, if they're untrue, we do have to reject fictitious men. And that's not a pleasant thing. But it's what we're called to do. Knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. They've already condemned themselves for their behavior. If you warn somebody a couple times, 
and they continue to reject the truth, they're saying, hey, yeah, I know the truth. I, I hear you, but I don't really care. And at that point, there's nothing left to do. You can't communicate more than the truth. You let them continue in their own sin. That doesn't mean you have to be pulled down by their sin, because that's what happens. When we don't reject people who are continuing in sin, it maligns the gospel. People know when they're in sin. And it's our responsibility to be honest with each other. God never called us to an easy gospel. But he called us to a true gospel. So, when I send Artemius or Tychius to you, I'm not sure which one, uh, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. You know, I like this. A lot of people just read this and like, okay, it's storyline. There's more here. Titus is given a job, and then he said, that's not it. You have this job. I've got another job for you, so when you get done, come and do what I'm going to give you another job to do. How many people forget that there's more to do than just the beginning work? God's calling you to not just one thing. Be an influence in this community. Move on. Go on and do another job. And I think that's exciting. That we don't just stagnate. Now, diligently, in the meantime, diligently help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Who are these guys? Well, uh, Paul's writing from jail. <laughs> so he's like, hey, there's some guys coming. They're going to hopefully help me out of jail. Uh, help them on their way. In essence, these are our legal guys. But they're also missionaries. They're coming to defend the gospel legally. There is a place to go before court and defend the, the gospel it's very clear. He's a lawyer, and he's a Christian. Hmm. <laughs> Defending the gospel. We are to be helpful to missionaries. We are to be pushing people on to do the work that God's called them to do. Whatever that work is, help them on their way. And let our people also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs. How do you meet pressing needs? Some needs require some financial assistance. He says, I want you guys to recognize the needs around you. When you see your brother hurting financially, help them out. We need to be meeting each other's needs and caring for one another. 
meet pressing needs that they may not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those with love who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. As you go out from here, remember that what you're doing, if you're being obedient to this, is only done through grace. And keep the right perspective. It's not about you. It's about Jesus and our love for the people around us. Let's pray. Father, we lift you up as we go out from here. We thank you that you have called us to be your ambassadors to this world. Give us a heart for the community, both in this church and outside of this church. Give us a heart that is obedient to you, that will correct wrong doctrine and build up one another in right believing, right faith. Give us a vision looking forward to your return that our hope will be in the right things and not on the right wrong focus. Help us to be good workers, diligent, faithful, for your glory. In Jesus' name.